And it's just like, oh, like all of the different Hollywood stars, the only time the general public would ever be able to see them or get access to them would be at like the Oscars or something like that. And social media has basically taken care of that. With an expert economy though, and an expertise economy, that hasn't like happened so much. Like if I want to basically be able to get direct access as a, you know, sort of a common public to a Nobel laureate or to like the world's leading management strategist, I'm probably going to have to engage through some sort of a consulting firm. There's still going to be Welcome to the Jess Larson Show, where I interview innovators and leaders. Today on the show, we've got Elliot Gategno. Elliot, thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me here, Jess. So mutual mutual acquaintance here, your friend, Kenneth Factor, put me on to you. And uh, looking at your background, it was super interesting. For I consider myself a lifelonger learner. And so I'm really interested both in your learning journey and the, the learning business in general. Can you give people just a quick overview on on your career? Yeah, ab- questions? yeah, absolutely. So long story short, I've had a career in both higher education, tech and startups for about the last 20 years and kind of began things in a non-conventional way as a professional classical musician. And so I used to be performing around the world as a musician with organizations like the New York Philharmonic. And at the same time, I did a, a, a doctorate in thought I was going to go down a relatively conventional path with different things. Ended up developing some technology that I spun off into a startup after finishing up my doctorate. And I realized I had some academic experience. I had some startup and business experience. And I had the opportunity at that point in time to move to China to be part of starting a few new universities. And so the first university I got to work on was Shanghai Tech University, and then went to a couple others that were there. And then got to be part of starting some new another university, which was international, but mostly based in the U.S., which is called Minerva, which is a combination of a a university and then also a tech startup. And uh, after doing that for a little bit, I went to the University of Michigan, where I was the managing director of the Ross School of Business, focusing on digital education for about three years and um, kind of wanting to move on and do something a little bit different from higher education. Had the opportunity to join On Deck, where I was the uh, head of education for the last year and a half about focusing on lifelong learning and what the future of education could look like for adults and professional learners outside of the higher education space. So so I'll pause there and we can dive into any of those different things and um, certainly love to talk about the the lifelong learning element of things no matter where we go. Yeah, maybe we'll take a quick detour. I was asking you just before we got started about Nikki Eberhardt, my friend that, that uh, you worked with at Minerva. I'm interested, for people not familiar, can you go a little bit deeper into that model there? At Minerva? Yeah, absolutely. And so Minerva, it's hard to believe, really started about 10 years ago and the, the sort of teaching and learning part of things about six years ago. And I've been with the organization now going on five years or um, thereabouts. And Minerva is, uh, from an academic point of view, it's a, it was relatively innovative when it started. Now it's pretty much the way that things are going. But when Minerva started, the, the academic portion of things is that all of the teaching and learning that was going to happen was going to be happening online. And so one of the things it was focusing on was being able to build out sort of a best-in-class teaching and learning experience, really what people kind of imagined it would be like when you're attending a Harvard seminar as an undergraduate student, but bring that experience online. And the purpose for doing so would 
would be able to kind of get away from the traditional cost structure of higher education, which includes a large amount of real estate needed, being able to have students and teachers all in one location in the world, etc. And so Minerva built out what I still think today is the best in class live learning platform and started working on that nearly a decade ago. And so the students from all over the world are, are basically taking all their classes online in a sort of a proprietary way. But the really interesting thing about Minerva is that I think in addition to the live learning academic portion, of things, the students are traveling the world to seven different cities while they're doing so. And so they begin in San Francisco and they're all basically living in the city and they're learning online, but they're also studying and they're working on social problems in the city. So for example, it, when they're spending a year in San Francisco, they might be focusing on focusing on homeless issues that are in San Francisco. And then when they go to their next city, it might be Berlin, it might be Seoul, they're focusing on entirely different challenges. But at the same time, the way that the curriculum and the way the educational experience is structured, they're learning these core concepts and these what we call habits of mind and foundational concepts. And the idea is that they, they focus on mastering these different content concepts, and then they focus on applying them in the location-specific um, and contextual-specific areas that they're, they're working. And so they graduate after four years of an undergraduate experience, having traveled and lived in seven different cities around the world, had some sort of a shared experience, but also some things that were unique to the majors that they're ultimately pursuing and are able to look at problems and investigate the world around them with this incredibly just complex lens and then go off into, you know, do incredible things, which many of them, many of them have. It was a delight just as a, you know, as a side note to read that a former student this morning was named to um, Forbes 30 under 30 in the, in the education space. And it's, it's just amazing to see the things that they're going on to do so, so early on in the, in basically in their careers. Oh, that's so fun. So I know what I think Nikki is amazing and she, she had asked me to be on the board of the United Nations Women chapter. So working on like counter trafficking and stuff like that out here in Utah. And then she left us, went back to Oxford. So in your experience of like, why do you think Minerva recruited her? What What's your experience? With well, I would say that, you know, generally speaking, Minerva has an incredibly like diverse and rich faculty. And while there's not, not so many, I mean, it's a full university, but maybe there's 60 or 70 faculty members. And like, like many institutions wanting to get, you know, extraordinary people. But one thing that Minerva does, I think, particularly well, especially within the business college of which I'm a member, um, is basically recruiting people that have incredibly diverse but also complementary skill sets and sort of in sort of interests. And so I think that you know with everybody that's going to be on the faculty, there needs to be like areas that you're incredibly you've, you've got a deep area of expertise in. And at the same time, there needs to be kind of I would say like common some some sort of we could say common threads and sort of common areas of interest. And so I think for Nikki and then also any anybody else that's going to be on the faculty. If you're a faculty member at Minerva, you're really interested in, I would say, you know, making a positive change in the world. And there are these sort of values that the, the university has, uh, that basically the university has and all the faculty members has. And I think that's, you know, certainly present in, in sort of in, in Nikki and definitely being interested in the type of work that's going to be making a positive change. And then also not just pursuing that as an individual, but I think one of the key things of being a faculty member that's maybe a little bit different that Minerva, by comparison to other universities that I've been a part of, say, University of Michigan or New York University. University is you're going to really want to work with the students and you're not going to necessarily want to work on your own research or doing that only, but you're going to want to engage in the things that um, are interesting to you. And in this case, making a positive change in the world with the students and be supporting them and be working on their projects with them and to be collaborating with them. And then I think this is something that, you know, Nikki is certainly passionate about as I've, I've observed as are the majority of the faculty members that, that I know at Minerva. Oh, that's fun. Well, I'm really interested, you know, th there have been so many changes 
and there's obviously continually technological advancements. I'm interested in where you see the future of learning as a business, learning and tech, and kind of the, maybe the mix of those three. So learning is a business, learning and tech, and where, where all these different things intersect is, is a huge is a huge area. I think that, you know, so I've been doing online education in some shape or form for the like pretty, and I would say like a, a daily basis for the past decade. And it used to be the conversation that people were having pre-COVID was like, can people even learn? Can people even teach online? Is this possible to do? Is it always going to be playing a backseat? And I think that, you know, those were that were on the f- forefront a few years before COVID were already starting to be convinced that, yes, this is totally possible and there's just going to be this mindset shift. But like, gosh, it's going to take a global pandemic to be able to change people's minds that this is an effective way to ultimately teach and learn. And then with COVID, it has all of a sudden, you know, basically over the probably the, first, the, the last year or so, when people were sort of getting used to maybe what a, a new normal might be looking like, were basically like, OK, well, clearly, clearly can do it. But now it's basically how ultimately, like, how can we do it and how can we do it in ways that that really work well? And so I think in like the combination of things, you know, that it used to be like, oh, the way to do things is going to be all residential. And then there was this extreme of like, oh, it's going all online and in all of these programs that were all online. And then I would say like the, the what's most interesting to me in, in seeing is basically like how the, the future is basically going to be very hybrid. And so like I think that in terms of like technology and then also in business, those that do what can be done ultimately online are doing that basically online. And then there are certain things that are really best done in real life are really best done ultimately in person. And going back to what we were just talking about with the Minerva model, I think Minerva has done this incredibly well from the get-go. It's really, there were certain things that could be done online, like the teaching and learning element could really be done online, but there were also certain things that are really best done in person. So while yes, one can explore a city when from virtually, you can basically, you know, do anything with Google Maps and go and see, and you can read about whatever it is. You can interview people virtually. These are the things that are best done, you know, walking around, smelling the air, bumping into people serendipitously in the street. The same thing goes with, you know, how, how social, basically, so the, so the social interactions. And so, you know, you can get to know people online, but it's nothing replaces also being able to get to know people in, in, in real life. And so I think like the educational experiences and then the technology that's facilitating those um, educational experiences isn't built in a polarized way, but isn't built in a way that ultimately integrates both the in real life element of things and the online things. Oh, that's exciting. Well, I think my next question, can you give people a sense of the kind of success that OnDeck has had? And then can we talk about how you think they got it? Yeah, absolutely. So OnDeck went from basically at a pre-pandemic organization that was really hosting, I would say the best way to describe it would be a sort of a dinner series. And what was basically happening is people would be getting together in cities around the world and they would be meeting it over over dinner to basically share the the common challenges that they were having or if they were looking basically to what what, what they might consider exploring. And so like literally kind of meeting like, you know, for founders or future founders of, of companies that were wanting to explore what their next thing might be and whether that would be starting their own company, whether that would be joining another company. But that was that's where where it was. And Eric Torenberg, founder, was doing this for, for several years in that way and basically building very slowly up this this sort of critical mass and this this audience that was interested in doing so. And then it kind of, and then there's sort of the team realized, okay, there's this sort of common set of challenges, common set of issues, and then launched the first fellowship, which was program, which was the Founders Fellowship. And for the first couple of those fellowships, those were also all in real life. And basically like this, they're using the same thing and kind of building on the success of the dinner series, putting together like the, the sort of a core curriculum for different things, but it was taking place um, in real life. And then COVID hit. 
And so it was the opportunity, this opportunity or this challenge, depending on how you're going to look at it and it's saying like, well, do we take what we're doing and then just basically do something completely different? Do we shift and move things online? Ultimately, what should we do? And which, and so the, the decision was made is like, no, let's pivot and let's figure out how we do everything online and basically move that, move that version of the fellowship online. And so like, accordingly, it's, it, it was a, it's, it was basically being incredibly sensitive and agile and saying like, well, it most basically at that point in time, most people thought, ah, oh, this COVID thing, it's going to last for a couple of weeks. We'll just kind of hold it out. On deck went really quickly to know, like, we're going totally virtual, totally online for this next version of the fellowship. We're not postponing, not canceling, and going to, to basically do that. And so at that point in time, then the organization was really well positioned to be able to basically do the same type of fellowship a few times really quickly for founders and then and scale for different areas off of that. And so I think like one of the things that in terms of like the, the success that, that OnDeck has had re relatively early on has been able to, you know, basically take the years of building the community that had been done all in real life and then build Bring, basically bring that element of the community to an online space. And then in terms of like knowing what a specific per persona, in this case, founders or people that were thinking of becoming founders, knowing basically their common challenges is being able to say, hey, what does that look like for those people that want to have roles at companies or that? And so like, say, uh, a community builder or a designer. So knowing the challenges that they're ultimately going to be going through. And so I think that like one of the, the areas of success of the programming that we've had it on deck has really been... Uh, um, you know, basically not not really faking it and, and not basically saying that anything that like with a, we know and this is the way that it ought to be, but really doing things just in incredibly authentic and genuine ways because the people that are designing and developing the programs have all gone through or are currently going through basically what it is that things are being taught by comparison to like maybe a, a conventional higher education area where you have mostly a faculty member that might have read articles about something, might have done research, but they've never gone through something. And so I would say like that's that's the the sort of authenticity and like the genuine element of the the sharing with with each other has been like the I would say a hallmark of all on deck programming. And so because of that, we've been able to, you know, kind of scale up from one program that was that was going incredibly well in a founders program to a, a series of programs. And so when you're looking at, at growth from you basically looking at the growth that on deck had, and let's say over 2021, you know, reaching nearly 20 mil, going from you know one or so million dollars in revenue to 20 million dollars in revenue is quite quite a jump over the course of year, especially during a pandemic. It's because it was a lot of basically repeating the in different areas the success of of the the sort of the core product offering. Yeah, can you talk about that? So a founder who gets into the fellowship, what does this look like on a week by like like specifically? What do they get? Or what is that? What are their activities? What does that look like? Yeah. So this is where it's like, I think it's like really being specific and knowing the needs of the, like the persona and then really basically tailoring experience to that. And so I, I like to think about on deck and many of the, like the way that we do programming it on deck as a, it's a goals or, or basically a goals organization. And then it's about really curating the experience for the individual to the goals that they have and basically putting together cohorts, whether it be small, say 50 to 75 people or some of the larger ones that are going to have twice as many of that. It's basically curating the experiences to the goals that they want to achieve. So like, let's say that it's a, a founder or someone that's even aspiring to, to be a founder and their goal is to, well, like number one, they need to get conviction about their idea and then they need to raise or basically a pre-seed round of funding for their idea. And so the the everything that they're doing in the early part of that fellowship or maybe for the entirety of the program, which could last from as little as eight weeks or as long as a year, is going to be geared towards helping them achieve those goals. And so like, again, it, program to program, it's going to be it's going to be different. But ultimately, number one, you're going to get access to 
this sort of a community platform. And within that community platform, it's kind of curating different events that are happening. And so that's going to be the other thing that you're going to be. So in terms of like the actual things that you're going to be doing. So you're probably attending, I don't know, two or three different types of events per week. And these are going to be like informational. Basically, it could be some sort of a lecture. It could be some sort of an active workshop where you're working on something. It could be some sort of a networking event that's happening. And so something something along those lines. So you're going to be basically gaining exposure to what's going on or you'll be gaining experience or sort of deepening the practice that you they basically have in refining whatever it is you want to be working on. The second thing that's a signature of most on-deck programming is going to be some sort of like a, a mastermind group. And so you're going to be paired with, with basically peers that have similar goals to you, but are also going to have hopefully diverse perspectives where everybody is able to contribute to what everybody else is working on. And so not only you're going to be in learning and growing together, but you're also going to have this peer accountability. And uh, this is something that's, of course, is like in- incredibly important. And that group is into basically achieving goals. And that group's going to meet together on a bi-weekly basis. Other thing you're going to get is you get access to, you know, right now it's, a, it's an on-deck Slack instance. And within that Slack is just like, there's just an incredible amount of knowledge sharing that's ultimately happening. So like, let's say you're just like interested in, I don't know, like Web3. You can be joining the Web3 channel and then you can be like going back over a year plus worth of what's going on in Web3. And it's like, wow, there's all of these different things that are happening. But then you also realize in all of the past talks that are going to be happening, that, that have happened in that area, because you're going to get access to this library of materials through community. It's just like, here are all of these really off the record, incredibly authentic talks from founders, thought leaders on this topic in this area. And so you're going to be able to get access to that material too. So again, like as that's helping you achieve your goals, like, oh, I'm thinking of starting something in Web3 or, oh, I'm thinking of raising a fund that's focusing on Web3. Here's like 50, you know, incredible talks and great conversations and then really people who are interested in it. And then the next part is going to be the networking. And so it's going to be really like, like, oh, I can have a really curated way to network with people that are interested in this particular topic. And so I would say like the the knowledge that you're gaining from all of the different things that are out there, plus the network are things that are going to be kind of common to an on-deck experience. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see why that's magnetic and I can see how that would lead to word of mouth advertising, yeah. right? Typically though, word of mouth doesn't do 20x in one year. What what else do you think marketing wise or positioning wise or what else helped with, with like that level of growth? Yeah. And so like, I'm not the biggest American football ball fan, but I, I, this, this kind of analogy comes to mind often. And it's like, why is Tom Brady the, the sort of greatest, you know, in many ways, uh, many, by many metrics, the greatest, you know, NFL quarterback in, in all time. And you can go like, well, you know, there's all these different things, but there's actually like only really a couple. It's number two. He played like the, probably one of like the longest and, and basically, and basically changed the way that he was playing the game. And so you have like, take a look at like, well, how is he changing the way that he was playing the game? It's like, well, he was able to play the longest because he was playing a different game. And part of that different game was as opposed to like having lots of heroic long throws and passes and all these different things, which are really physically strenuous, and then also open you up to just like get hit pretty often. You figure out like, well, okay, I'm going to play a game that's going to enable to be not get hit really often and not like throw really long passes, but actually do like lots of really quick throw passes, really quick and short passes, but be able to move down the game so it's much less physically strenuous, et cetera, et cetera. And so like, I think that on deck in many ways took that approach to developing new programs programs and things like I was talking about before. So you figured out like one core programming model that works for a specific persona. It's really hard to grow one business from say like zero to one and then one to 20 in a year. 
harder, but it's not really hard to go from like zero to one to one to two. And then to just do that 20 times with different teams in, in parallel process. And so I think that's many, that's like, that's many parts of like, of the, the model that's ultimately used and like, you don't need to necessarily grow. And I think this is one of the things that many people that are building out um, sort of online courses or online learning experiences, it, you know, kind of try to, to basically grow that core audience, maybe past what is naturally wanting to happen. And so getting like a 10,000 people that are interesting, in, interested in X, whatever it might be, let's say it's, you know, and they're, they're probably, they're, they're probably most definitely out there. However, getting to that first hundred and getting to that first then like hundred to, to 200 and then to 500 and then getting them really passionate about it and getting them to share with their friends. That's relatively, you know, simple by comparison to that larger goal. And then just repeating and repeating and repeating in all of these different areas that, and here's where the network effects and the sort of flywheels come in. They're always complementary to each other and they're accretive to the brand. And so it's basically taking a look at the programming that happened. You could say like, well, think OnDeck was doing founders and then started doing some of these other things like writing and podcasting. And it was just like, well, because at that point in time, it's like, what do founders need? Oh, they need help with marketing. They need help getting these, these different things out there. So we'll create basically this, this supply of people that are going to be able to do that. Well, but it, what it turned out was those podcasters and it turned out that maybe the writers, what they were actually looking for was they were looking for distribution. And so there, there wasn't necessarily the match. So, you know, put a pause on, on that program for the time being and then figured out, okay, like what do founders need? They really need their first hires. And then so starting like the first 50 program, which is basically a recruiting program for found, like for people who want to join as a first 50 employee at hopefully a rocket ship startup. So like perfect match. So then you're bringing in people who are looking for jobs at startup. You're helping people, you know, startups. Great. And then all of the programming around that. So like you've got, then you've started it. What is the next step? Look, well, you need to scale from like, you know, pre-seed to seed, seed to series A. So there's on deck scale. You're looking for those early checks and those basically things. It's like, okay, on deck angels, which is going to help basically a fellowship for angel investors, for people who are looking for, you know, like basically pre idea founders to potentially invest in, get to know so they can begin building their portfolio and, and have the best possible terms. And so then you're starting to look at, okay, great. Everything is complementary to each other with like basically calculated risks, like knowing that like, hey, maybe we don't want to jump to designers because maybe that's not the first thing that's needed there. Maybe we we don't want to jump to whatever it might be. And some of those um, risks ultimately, you know, really paid off. And other ones were basically put on pause for, for basically, I think, you know, kind of offering them in a later time. Yeah. Okay. That makes way more sense. And, and I can see like how those connections and like, to me, there's kind of this principle, like, and I know you've said it a bunch of times, but like getting really deep into what's going on for your customer and thinking of what other problems you can solve for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's going to make them more enthusiastic, more likely to talk to others and more satisfied. And, you know, like the and, and, and of, of that network effect building, because you're not just trying to sell one thing to more people, you're solving more problems. You know, you talked earlier about Minerva being so good at live learning. And I'm thinking about Candace Factor and Disco. And, yeah. you know, it's great to have her on the show. And I think what was inspiring about them is to me is this idea of like, I think I had fallen in love with this idea of like build, build it once, you know, make a video course once and then it sells forever or, you know, it helps so many people forever. And then like in real life, like nobody finishes those. I, I've yeah. started so many, but I don't actually finish them, you know, and it seems like to me, she seems like one of the folks that are really pushing this world forward and, and that team at Disco of kind of cracking this nut on 
on live learning, but live learning at scale. I, when you think about Candice and her team at Disco, what do you think they're doing right? So I think that like there, there's a few different things. And one, like I look at the team Disco and I look at the product that they are ultimately building is it's it's just like a natural evolution. So there have been many different starts of trying to do, you know, what the Disco team is doing now. And so th this is like, it's it's like one of these, it's like, I, I would say the, the example would probably be like, well, at first you had like Friendster and then you're going to have the Facebooks and the more evolved kind of social networks. And so like we've had a lot of friendsters in the online learning space that I don't certainly and, and you know it's it's important to be first. And so you know friendster did an incredible job. But also those that like you know that came after it uh, there's clearly a you know a sort of a, a stick to itiveness that they have had by comparison to those the, the earlier ones being there. And, and so like I think one of the things that's like most exciting to me which there are many that Disco is doing is number one it's it's really a relatively all in one solution from basically the the creator's point of view. And that creator could could be a company. It could be like a business. It could be a large business. But on deck, I was using Disco and that's how I first got acquainted with the work that they were doing is we were searching for, hey, what could be a platform that basically ties everything together and basically supports the, the programming that we're doing? And Disco was able to check all of the different boxes. And so it can also be for an individual. And I think like for, for both, it just makes it so, it just makes it so much easier to operate. So like the operational efficiency from a business, from a, from a business to, to use, utilize Disco, it just, for the, the fellowships that we were doing it on deck, it just lowered that incredibly. And so we used to need multiple people. Then we did not. Then we basically could have, hey, we could have now multiple programs operating with that same person because they weren't needing to basically do all of these manual things. And it's not just about like, you know, reducing labor, but it's really focusing on like, what can people only do? So I like to think about it basically as having people practice at the top of their license. And like, what can, like humans should only be doing things that humans can do. Humans don't need to be sending out Google Calendar invites all of the different sorts of manual things that also often need to be done to building out online learning experiences. And so like Disco automates all of those different things, but it also leads people through a learning experience. So from an educational point of view, you're able to focus on like, this is the goal. This is the thing that you're supposed to achieve this week. That question that you're asking, like, what is one doing on a week-to-week -week basis in an, in an on-deck programming or in any types of programming? You're able to make that crystal clear within the Disco platform. On the other side of things, on the, the sort of, you know, sort of the creator, the sort of one to many point of view the disco the disco team is building out it's it's basically you know the I, I would say like i would liken it to what stripe is ultimately doing in terms of just like online infrastructure for store owners the disco team is creating online basically um, infrastructure for i would say you know anybody who who wants to be building is is, is a, they call it an online learning empire it, it enables you to basically have all of this online infrastructure for you to you know basically create the content that you ultimately want to share find your audience and to be able to ultimately engage with that audience. And I think it's like through that engagement that goes to what you're saying is it's not, you know, like the, the, the completion rates in many sort of MOOCs and massive open online courses are, is, is abysmal. You're, you know, depending on what you're looking at is, is less than 3% by comparison to like, you know, many cohort, the, the sort of better cohort based course model is, you know, closer to, to 75%. And so, you know, that because, and I think like because of that, there's the community element of things are all the additional things that you're able to build. And I think that, you know, those are all the things that the Disco team is basically facilitating and, and really just kind of getting started there. Yeah, that's exciting. I, well, I actually have some more questions because after Candace, I had one of the stars from the Disco platform. I had Roger Martin on the show. Yeah. And, and I feel like he's really 
you know, and, and together with them at Disco have kind of cracked the nut on, on building a tribe and getting it to scale and, and honestly helping a lot of people, you know, so. Yeah, certainly. And that's, that's the thing is like, you know, I think that like, because like some of the things and like what technology has ultimately enabled, well, I mean, it's, it's also like, you know, it's, it's relatively obvious, but, but not, not so much as it's, it's really very much like the breaking down of the barriers where you could look at for like traditional media that used to be happening between like the knowledge creator and like the expert and, and their audience. And so like this, this has happened in, in, in social media, like, you know, you, you take a look at what's going on at Instagram for years and it's just like, oh, like all of the different Hollywood stars, the only time the general public would ever be able to see them or get access to them would be at like the Oscars or something like that. And social media has basically taken care of that. With an expert economy, though, and an expertise economy, that hasn't like happened so much. Like if I want to basically be able to get direct access as a, you know, sort of a common public to a Nobel laureate or to like the world's leading management strategist, I'm probably going to have to engage through some sort of a consulting firm. There's still going to be massive fees and something along these lines. Not anymore. Now you'd be able, now like those people would be able to, you know, use a platform such as Disco and they'd be able to engage directly with, with, with their audience with relative ease from their point. Even if somebody was facilitating that interaction on their behalf, it would still enable sort of a general interaction with the public. And I think like the, the potential impact and engagement from people is like, hey, yeah, I'm taking my class from, you know, from Roger Martin by comparison to someone who's teaching Roger Martin's stuff, just being able to that, that sort of authentic element of it. That's where I think going back to the types of like the success that on deck is ultimately have. That's where you see the engagement. That's where you see people ultimately wanting to share because there's that sort of, you know, the clarity, purpose, intent, all of those different things that people have when you're engaging with like the real authority and topic that it's going to enable. It's interesting how I think myself and others feel so confident saying, no, this is the answer. But then when you look at the stats of MOOCs and you hear 3% completion rates and stuff, you're like, oh, never mind, right? Well, let's see this. So by the way, anybody wants to find out about what Candace is doing or Roger's doing it, that, that website's disco.co, disco.co. But Elliot, we're kind of wrapping up part one of the interview here. Where can people connect with you? LinkedIn or what's good? Best way to connect with me would probably just be on LinkedIn. Oh, that's great. Maybe we'll end with this. What, if you could only give one piece of advice to a, you know, expertise economy entrepreneur, what, what would you, what would you lead with? I think it's kind of like the, the ikigai question or like, you know, the, in, in sort of figuring out like what the needs of the world are and then, you know, basically where your, your sort of interests align. And there's many, many of different questions that would go there. Um, or, and, or looking at basically the, through the lens of like product market fit as well. Like, you know, it's basically like, what are you able to offer and what are you able to really think about creating a product of? And then also at the same time, like, what are the needs of the people that you want to engage with? And so I think that so many people kind of forget that, like, you need to love your learners. You need to love the people with you're engaging with. Otherwise, it gets exhausting really, really quickly. It's great to, to be able to teach something or to do something and to put together a course on something that you're interested in. But then if you find out the hundreds and if you're lucky, thousands of people that are you know interested in the same thing with you, you don't want to engage with them. There's there's likely going to be some sort of a, a longevity issue you there. And so, you know, like it's, it's one figuring out those different things. And then number two, like test it out really quickly. I, I think that like, as, as part of that, people are thinking like, oh, I need to build and design and do all of these different things with the course. And that's not the case. 
I mean, certainly using a platform like in any platform such as Disco, you can get up a quick little landing page and you can try to do enrollments for a course. And for the first 10 people that sign up and enroll, you can get together a pre-session with them and then you can talk and you can see, are these my people? Are these the people I want to be engaging with? And what's it going to be like to spend the next month, six months, year, hopefully plus um, engaging with them on a regular basis? And so it's really, I would say, like get get in those early, basically like prototypes and sessions and, and focus groups, whatever you ultimately want to be calling them as early and quickly as possible before you go too far down a particular path if it's the first time that you're doing it. Solid advice. I love it. Okay, everybody, please tune in for part two. I've got a whole bunch more questions for Elliot.